0: Hello, and welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast, your one stop for co-op news and reviews. This week, Jason Perez is here to entertain you with some more Shelf Stories.
1: Yo, my peoples, what's up? Welcome to Shelf Stories, the channel that tells tales of games, books, and life. And welcome to the One Stop Co-op Shop Podcast. I am your host, Jason. Thank you so much for stopping by for this very special interview. Uh, I was looking forward to this. I love doing this. So we did the preview for Earthborn Rages from Earthborn Games, the uh, debut title from Earthborn Games. uh, And we had a nice conversation with the two gentlemen that are joining me today. And then because I'm excited about it and because this person likes to post on Twitter, uh, the former Twitter, uh, about development of the game. We did another interview about the development of the game and the pitfalls and how hard it is and you know, getting into the meat of what's going on. And now we get to round out the discussion. Uh, no, they're not paying me because to appear multiple <laughs> times. This is not an official relationship. They're doing something different and they're doing something that I'm very excited about. So I'm very happy to kind of continue the story here in the One Stop Co-op Shop. Uh, and I hope that the audience appreciates uh, the depth of coverage. Okay. So uh we are talking about Earthborn Rangers which has landed. I have posted my p- my playthrough and my review so my thoughts are out there. And I'm inviting the uh, two of the game makers there are many, <laughs> a legion of game makers making this. Uh but two of the lead ones the most important. Uh first we have the founder and CEO of Earthborn Games, uh, Andrew Navarro. Welcome to the show.
2: Thanks, Jason. Thanks for inviting us again. I'm glad. To, I'm excited to be here. Yeah, it's been maybe two years since mm-hmm. we first spoke. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited to to, to close to close the book on this particular chapter
1: and perhaps lead uh, to another one. Uh, Absolutely. Uh, and both of us have a few more gray hairs than <laughs>
3: <laughs> perhaps. <laughs>
1: Uh, then we have Bud, sporting, a nice sporty shock of black hair uh, down at the bottom, still a, a young, although has a month old baby, so those uh, black hairs won't last very long. That's right. Uh, <laughs> uh, the lead developer uh, of uh, Earthborn Games uh, and also a designer, and we could talk about that some of your other projects, uh, formerly a Fantasy Flight, now uh, on his own. He is Andrew Fisher. Welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Yeah, a, 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 a few fewer gray hairs, but like you said, I think that's that's changing soon. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and uh, also, uh, and another thing I wanted to get out of the way before we get into the conversation, they have their own podcast. Uh, so everything that has to do with Earthborn Games, Earthborn Rangers, and uh, all the uh, things that are surrounding it. There's a cast of thousands that join that show. Uh, before we get into the Earthborn Rangers conversation, talk a little bit about the podcast that y'all started. Uh, who wants to uh, talk, chime in on that?
2: Sure. Go ahead. Yeah. Go, go so ahead, uh yeah, we started the Earthborne Games podcast, uh let's see, I think the beginning of twenty twenty-two, just as a way to document our process mm-hmm. and let people in on the development of the game as we were leading up to the production, then through production and then delivery and just the entire process from beginning to end. And uh, we've kept it going. We do it every every other week, more or less, pretty consistently. And I think we just just released our forty-first episode, so <laughs> there's there's a lot there, a lot of fun stuff, a lot of fun conversations, a lot of like little sneak peeks and uh, in, insights into our design process, our art process, stuff like that. It's it's a good time.
0: Yeah, it's a, there's a tricky balance to strike with it because we don't want to spoil too much. Yeah. You know, our game is very story based, and we don't want to spoil it all. And especially as we've gotten deeper into development and stuff, uh, we uh, we weren't quite sure exactly, you know, like, what we talk about. Because after 41 episodes, you know, you'd know everything about the game. But one <laughs> of the nice things is that, like, we've built this, like, really great community around the game. Like, we have a bunch of people from Kickstarter backers to people who just kind of stumbled into it. And, like, we have, like, this reoccurring cast of characters of people who sent us in questions. And so, like, <laughs> honestly, one of the coolest things about the podcast has just been... Being able to connect with the community a bit more and just like feel like we're talking to the community uh, in a way that I haven't been able to do in previous parts of my career. Uh, and so it's, it's just very cool to kind of build that relationship a bit, feel a bit closer to the people who are actually playing your game. You yeah, mean like
1: Asmodee the, USA doesn't run like the gates of openness to their community? Are you are you serious? <laughs> You're blowing my mind right now.
2: <laughs> yeah. The bulk of the show, honestly, is just us answering questions and talking to the community. It's it's awesome. Uh it's really, it's really a good time. So this, yeah, if, they weren't, um, if they weren't asking questions, we'd have nothing. We'd, we'd be a very short <laughs> podcast.
0: <laughs> well, we, we'd we have spoiled everything in the game, right? Because like, That's we'd, right. Have, we'd just be talking about content. <laughs> well, this
1: podcast is going to function as something of a digest. We're not going to obviously cover 40 episodes of material here. Uh, what I wanted to do with this podcast uh, is to kind of sum up. Uh, come to a summary moment of everything that's happened and then open the door to the next things because we're going to keep on going. So that's number one. Number two, we are going to try to strike that balance. So the first part of the conversation is going to be for anybody. Uh, Let's say you're just hearing about the project for the first time. uh, And maybe, um, I think this episode will relaunch after PAX. Uh, But there's a lot of different uh, gatherings that are are happening. Uh, Maybe you heard about the project. Uh, Let's talk about it uh, and learn some things. Uh, The second part of the conversation, I want to check in on some of the sustainability goals. Uh, This production cycle was very unique. And we covered that in the last episode, so we're not going to get into that. Uh, But I just kind of want to check in on how well those goals were met in production. And then, spoiler wall. We are gonna let it rip in terms of people who have finished the game or people who don't care about spoilers. We're gonna talk about from soup to nuts what happens, the twists and turns along the way, etc. That's what I get most excited about—that a story guy. So, uh, looking forward to that. <laughs> Let's get into it. So, uh, I want to talk about the story aspect first, and then the mechanisms. Uh, in my review, uh, my number one point had to do with the way the story was structured, and comparing it to many, many other. Uh, being, like, you know, open worlds, quote-unquote open world games uh, in the genre or story-based games, how this one stands apart, doing more than anything to what I call reward curiosity. So in many games, uh, and I'm thinking of the Arkham Files in particular, but there's others, there's that threat meter, push, 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 push. And you're almost punished for wasting, quote-unquote wasting time. You got, you know, you have a human ruffian in front of you, go take care of him. Um, and Earthborn Rangers swings. You- the other way where i think uh, you get to the opening mission and then the paragraph in the uh in the book says now go do what you want (laughs) here's some suggestions (laughs) (laughs) uh such a different vibe
0: yeah so uh i mean you're exactly right that that moment when when we start and then kind of just let you go is very purposeful and actually it like wasn't always the case um during development like the identity of this game changed a lot and we had mm. to do a lot of work and iteration to find the identity of this game i don't remember how much we talked about but like the game started uh that there was a, a time when it was a little more scenario based a little more like arkham mm. and um it wasn't really fill, fitting with that vision that initial vision of something that felt like an open world and we um this is Right around when I came on the project, we really reworked it as this more open world experience. Similarly, a similar iteration, much closer to the end, was, you know, um, uh, I felt this need to keep driving the players forward, right? And so, mm-hmm. like the story had, you know, these missions with all these timers, which you do, you do get a bit yes. of. So that it's not, it's not all uh, just free form exploration, but right. we had that from the get go, right? We had that main story from the get go. But that, again, was kind of getting in the way of this vision of, like, the more open and, like, teaching people that they can just wander off and do what they want. And so that moment early in the game where we set you loose and you have this moment of, like, what is this game about? What am I doing? Right. Is very purposeful to get people to challenge their assumptions. And it was actually injected that kind of reprieve from the story early on to let you explore was very purposeful and was put in late in the game in development to create that moment and it's been divisive uh, you know there's some people <laughs> it who <felt> like a <laughs>
1: trap <laughs> i've had th- the th- general akbar voice it's the trap
0: <laughs> well you can wander away and then the story starts and you got to get back somewhere uh right, but right. it's um uh and and some people you know some people want that driving story and don't like that moment but you know like uh what is the uh, mark Rosewater always talks about you know making sure you 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 make something that some people love instead of like something that just you know most everybody think is okay, right? Sure. And so like uh, I think that kind of choice to give that reprieve early on was very much this decision to broadcast what the game is about and make something that some people will really love, uh, and and show them what you know the the some of the cool things that there are to love about the game.
2: Yeah, I I think uh, you know Fisher hit it right on the head. Um, yeah, I, I think the trying to establish the fact that you can go everywhere was, was super important. And I felt, um, in that moment, like, uh, well, I guess we could talk about it when we get to the spoiler section. Um, but yeah, there was That's a true. moment I'm already. Dipping. <laughs> <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah, there was, there was a time when it, it kind of got right into it right away and it was just like mission after mission after mission and, um, kind of like the experience that I had, uh, early on in the game, uh, in the game's development when it was a little bit more scenario-based. It was kind of like this maybe like a node-based world. So it still had kind of a, a, a roaming feel to it, but you went into each discrete portion of the, of the valley and you explored there and then you would like go back to the hub and you could strike out again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just a matter of us getting, kind of like breaking free from our uh, from everything we've been taught and <laughs> everything we've done in, in game development up to that point. Uh, and it just took a little while to kind of shake those shackles off and then feel comfortable with it. And I think um, the players kind of feel that same way too. There's some people who I think are, where they play it and they're uh, they're ready for something new. They're ready for a different feeling. And those people I think have responded really well. The people who, come to the game kind of expecting more of the same uh they're the ones who have the most difficulty with that openness and kind of want that pressure to be put on them and want the game to tell them precisely what to do (laughs)
1: right right yeah i mean i think like there's a uh it's it's a pendulum or a spectrum or i want to think about it like Mm -hmm. you know on the one end is like okay here's the overarching thread here's the mission and then like if you can peek your head out twice towards like little side thing. And that's like, you know, that counts as exploration. And you know, that can be, uh, some people feel comfortable in that straight jacket, And I, but I guess for the longest time, all three of us as gamers as story gamers, we're used to that. So it's like, okay, let's just, you know, open up a little bit and then a little bit, and mm-hmm. a little bit. And then I'm so glad you mentioned about like, as game developers, you had to break a shackle because as gamers, we also have to break a shackle of like, okay, um, it's a big map and there's no center. Like, we're so used to having a center. We're so used to having, uh, you know, Dalaran and World well, of Warcraft thing or, or uh, Arkham and, and Arkham Viles. Uh, there is no center. Like, you know, there you can literally go to any of these other places. And I guess, like, I, I use the word disorienting. Have you gotten that feedback, uh, that particular kind of feedback that, like, you know, I, I'm into it. I I dig this. I like where it's going. But it's like, I'm I feel a little bit off, <laughs> especially in those early sections. So uh, to be clear, as as uh, Fish said, um, you, and you see it on the tracker, right? If you look at the tracker, there's like story numbers on the track. So like the game was already telling you without even spoiling anything, something's going to happen at like day three or day six or whatever it is. Uh, so you have that little bit of reassurance that we're going to get back on a quote unquote track, but that's all you get at the beginning. So did you deal with that feed that particular kind of feedback? because that's what that was my experience in a little bit. Or was has it been pretty um, like you said before, you know, most people kind of get it pretty quickly?
0: Well, like I mentioned, it's very, you know, we, we get a broad spectrum of reactions, right? There's some people where the game really clicks for them. There's some people where they kind of have to get into it, and there's some people where they just bounce off of it, right? And so like I think you know, as with anything that tries new things, you're gonna get that kind of spectrum of people. Um, with some of the people who have had to kind of work through it and figure things out, I think that's where we get the most insights into like some of the friction points. And um, I, I think a lot of it comes from um, like a word that comes up sometimes is like intuitiveness or whatever. And one of the interesting things that one of the players once said to me, and they said like, okay, if I stop thinking about it, like I think about other games and just mm-hmm. think about it, like thinking about it from the, story or the theme perspective it becomes more intuitive and i think that kind of ties back to what andrew was saying is like i think a lot of people come into it with a lot of like assumptions about how other games function and because of that you know it it looks like other games it looks a little bit like lord of the rings it looks like a little bit like um uh arkham lcg it looks a little bit maybe like seventh continent or something right Mm -hmm. so you come into it with these assumptions about how these other games work and that kind of creates these friction points um, so that's, I think, the biggest tension um, we've seen is just, you know, it's like you don't have that singular goal of just getting clues or trying to get your opponent's health to, to, to zero. You don't have a singular mission that we assign you at the beginning. You can choose to take on four or one. And because of that, like, freedom, that's that's the biggest, like, tension point, at least I've seen mechanically.
1: I love how it was written. It was like, okay, if you want, you can go to the major cities and talk to the elders and da da dot, dot, you know, spoiler, spoiler. But like, it's really like, okay, oh, um, it's almost like, hey, you, a disoriented person, if you really want that, go here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, and there's a, there's a uh, yeah. sidebar we wrote that's in the rule book right after we kind of teach you about ending the day. There's this kind of long sidebar that I forget if it's called summing it up or something like that, where basically... It just talks about a lot of this stuff like here's how a bunch of this stuff comes together and that was mostly written in an attempt to kind of tell people show people how uh, the dynamics of how everything works right the the rule book's a lot of mechanics it lays out a lot of how things work and then that that sidebar is trying to talk about here's how some of this will manifest and it's okay if you feel like there's three different things to do and you can't do them all that's intentional right and so it's trying to kind of teach that experience but you know it still is a, a bit of a tension point for sure. some people most people don't read that sidebar anyway it's it's so, <laughs> it's, so, it's so
2: it's so deep in the rule but it's like at the end of the rules they're like ah, is, yeah. let's go play the game <laughs> <Right>. <laughs>
0: classic okay I, so I, uh yeah oh no go ahead jason
1: well, I, I, I mean, I was gonna kind of move to the next section, but if you have yeah, yeah, go in, ahead. Could be here. Okay, great. Um, so there's so much more I want to say about the story structure, but that's gonna get into spoiler. I've already kind of brushed up light the, the lightest of brushes against a spoiler wall. People don't even want to know that. <laughs> they don't even want to know like <laughs> hints in the lore book. So it's like, all right, people, um, there will be a spoiler wall, and we're gonna get into more of how the story was structured in particular and where it goes uh, as we go in. Uh, but no, in, in terms of um framing. That there is that open world moment for a couple of days, and like I said in the page, the, the page tracker that is very public, there are story markers like you know go to this paragraph, go to this paragraph. That's your clue that like you are gonna get something in terms of some kind of through line. Uh, it's not it's not just gonna be like kind of like leave it to the wind. Um, so communicating that is very difficult. I imagine that's an ongoing process <laughs> to educate people about that. So that's uh, that's where you are. Um, the second piece of feedback that I heard was about challenge. And this gets into the, some of the mechanical aspects of it. So constantly, uh, if you read the comments in our videos and with other conversations that we've had, the, the, the number one thing is, well, is this game challenging? You know, open world and all that kind of stuff is the, where's the challenge here. Uh, and that's, it's almost like the opposite of where I came from because I'm a more story-based gamer. And I was like, whoa, there's a big rules load here. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I wasn't quite prepared for it. Fish, help me. <laughs> I dialed up <laughs> Fish and he uh, walked me through and everything. Eventually, I, I've played Magic Gathering. i played, you know, Android Netrunner. So it's like, you know, you you, you fall into a hand and glove, but it's just kind of an expectation thing uh, that I had to overcome. So talk a little bit about your experience with creating a sense of challenge, mechanical, rewarding challenge, uh, goals to achieve that satisfy a player. Talk about... Um, the experience of marrying that with the open world vision—you're uh, nodding furiously, Navarro. So, yeah, hit me up.
2: <laughs> well, I'll let I'll let Fisher go first. Uh, he does—he okay. is does the best at el- elucidating on on top topics like this. I will say though, at the top, I think challenge is an interesting is a uh, is an interesting topic when it comes to this game yes. because yes. of the broad spectrum of players and the types of players who have come to it. So there are some people who like at first blush are like, whoa, this is too easy. And some people will come in and like, wow, this is really hard. And it covers all, all the range in between. But I think uh, uh, as you get into the game, I think it, obviously when we get into spoilers, we can talk about like some of the overt challenges we create. Uh, but there's a lot of ways for you to create challenge uh, throughout the experience.
0: Yeah, I, I hope this isn't too much of a spoiler to say that I don't I haven't met a single player who's made it uh, a good chunk of the way into the campaign who questions the challenge of the game <laughs> at all anymore. <laughs> <laughs> there there are a few points in the game uh, in the across the story where people go, oh okay, I'm sorry I ever questioned if this game was going to be hard. Uh, what well, I will in say some though ways,
1: that comes later. At the mm-hmm. beginning, you're not seeing it. It, it comes mm-hmm. later, and it, it's a it's a it's um it's a game like Android Network. It's a game like you know are these these collectible card games where you have your combos, you have your combo building, and you have to do it right. Like, it's not like you can just like throw any combination together. You have to be mindful of that. So like there's just an, a challenge inherent in the quote unquote deck building or whatever you mm-hmm. uh you call that in terms of that that scenario based challenge that comes. Spoiler, spoiler, later, right? You know, uh, again, after you get into some of those mission stuff. So, I mean, talk a little bit about like, you know, are you getting feedback to like, okay, uh, this beginning part just isn't grabbing me and I'm going to fall into it. Like, how do you uh, address that balance of when to, in- when to introduce that sense of challenge?
0: Well, I think that kind of ties into some of what we talked about in the last question, which was, you know, I think that was very inherently tied to questions about openness and direction uh, more than like, Challenge, challenge early on because I think there's a there, there's a couple touch points where people start seeing that challenge kind of manifest, um, and to kind of address some of the extreme points of challenge, both for the players who don't want that challenge, um, because some people come to this game who don't want that super intense experience, and then on the other side to address people who might kind of feel it's a little too easy. Um, uh, I will say on the extreme challenge side, I. There are a couple of those missions that I, I'm trying to vaguely hint at that I think, <laughs> in retrospect... I know exactly what you're talking sometimes...
1: about, Fish. I'm going to talk to you about that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> are, are, ...are sometimes a bit hard, like, maybe a, tuned a little harder than I, I think I want for people who are a little more averse to that more extreme challenge. But one of the release valves we have on that side is, I mean, this is kind of uh, sometimes a a... a Maligned term in game design, but fail forward.
3: forward.
0: In that, like, I think a better way to frame it is that we want this to feel like a real place. This isn't something where you're going back to checkpoints. This isn't something where you're, you know, retrying missions or whatever, or that the game just ends. The valley keeps going, regardless of your actions. And so we wanted it to feel real in that sense. However, you do on this story mission changes the valley in some way. And in fact, a lot of the story missions, well, We'll talk about that in spoilers. but um uh, most of them, their main purpose is to reflect on the valley. And because you know, you can fail that mission, fail, and your story continues just in a slightly different way, mm-hmm. that's a release valve on that end. On the other end, on the end of people who want that challenge but aren't necessarily finding it in um, that more free form uh, approach, is we have a lot of kind of opt-in objectives. So there's a lot of like people you can help out along your way. And so often you're given a decision that will often come up as you're playing is you have a main mission or two that you are pursuing. And then you come across a person and that person says, hey, can you help me do this thing? Mm -hmm. I might have something for you if you do. And you have to make this decision of, can we take this on in addition to our other goals? And so players who are looking for more challenge can layer on additional objectives and opt into more difficulty for themselves and, you know, really stack up and try to help a lot of people. Uh, To your question about like tension points and whether it clicks with everybody, I think one thing that that requires is a certain amount of like intrinsic motivation. Mm -hmm. We're not extrinsically rewarding you. I mean, we are. Uh, I don't think it's spoilers to say that uh, yeah. doing things in an open world games often gives you some kind of reward, but yeah. uh, <laughs> get stuff.
1: I <Like>, come on, <laughs> get a, a game without getting stuff.
0: But we aren't like directly handing it to you. Right. And so it requires that kind of intrinsic motivation to be like, Ooh, let me opt into this, opt into that, opt into that. And, and so, also oh,
1: just in terms of yeah. the product model, I, pa- I apologize for that. The game no, no. has a tab called rewards. And there is a sleeve That's of right. cards behind the reward. So like how we get those things. So, I mean, if you're not putting two two together, if I'm like, okay, help this random person and therefore dive into that stack of cards that I soldered when I got the game, you know, that we got to, there is a education that even just a product is doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that kind of uh, self-imposed opting into extra difficulty, um, there's a lot of video games that take a similar approach where you can kind of opt into, you know, like this game might be kind of easy uh, this is kind of a weird example but like devil may cry uh you know is this action game it's pretty easy to button mash your way through every level in devil may cry it's really hard to get an s rank in every Mm -hmm. and but that's opt-in difficulty that is something where you're saying i want to set for myself an objective to get an s rank on every level right and so like similarly oh i want to help all these people while i'm doing the story mission that's opt-in difficulty but not every player type that doesn't click with every player type. Some players want to like have the game designer lay out like a very precise here is a perfectly tuned difficult scenario at X or Y difficulty and be kind of given that more walled off experience. And It'd be more like a Dark Souls, a- right?
1: Like I mean, here yeah. you get, here you go, beat this. <laughs> you know, yeah. you don't get um, that modularity as much.
2: It's so- the it's the beating that, that, that I want to beat the game mentality. And I think that's the, that's, that's where, um, earthborne Rangers doesn't give you that because it's not trying to beat you. It's just trying to be your friend and, and provide you an enjoyable experience. If you want challenge, then it's going to give it to you. If you want to kind of brush up against it, you can do that too. Um, I think though, like back to what you are saying about challenge and critique of, of challenge. I, what you were saying, Fisher, I, it's almost all the critiques we get about challenge are people who sit down to play for like the first like couple sessions. Um, and because again, it's just expectations because the, it, the game in a lot of ways looks like other games. So they're expecting like something like an Arkham or Lord of the Rings uh, or Marvel champions where you get in and you get defeated. And then you come back and you do it again, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that is the way that those games teach you how to play, and that is the that's the that's the loop of those games. And if those games didn't beat you in those moments, there'd be very little to play because there's there's such min- minuscule amount of content if you don't have to redo those scenarios over and over again to 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 um, to achieve the best result. Mm-hmm. Um, what Earthborne Rangers does instead, and again, this is just a, it's a it's a different approach that's something that really i've not never experienced so i don't know if there's any other games out. i haven't played every game obviously so there might be other games that do it but um that tries to teach you how to play the game in the early portions of the game by giving you letting you opt into that challenge over the first handful of days um where you can learn the systems you can get comfortable with your deck and then the challenge ramps um whereas in those other games you get, on the, you get on the ramp immediately and then you need to sink or swim. Um, so it's, uh, it's trying to give you the skills from a, a gameplay standpoint to handle that challenge when it comes because it kind of eased you into it. Uh, but narratively speaking, I also wanted to do something different where it doesn't throw you in the deep end of this place that you really, as a new player, you probably just don't care anything about or know anything about and give you an opportunity to become invested in the world, learn more about it, become a part of it, and then you might actually care about the outcome uh, and what happens to you and the people there.
1: In terms of splitting that difference, because there, I mean, I guess this is more in the video game realm speaking, uh, Fish brought up a video game, um, and in the RPG space, they'll split difference in the sense of like, okay, it's open world, you go where you want, et cetera, but there's like a cold open, Right, mm-hmm. you get your intro mission, and you know you're arrested, and you're in jail, and you have to kind of like <laughs> make it your way out of the jail. And then once you're out of the jail, it's okay. You can explore the area, and mm-hmm. then you you go on from there. So there is that moment of like it's it's a way to teach the rules. It's a way to kind of grab people. You know, it's it's almost like a selling point. It's like okay, that that person who is the person that's commenting on my videos, uh, the the people, um, they're like, is this a challenge? I think they they were looking for that cold open Mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah absolutely um is that something that because it doesn't this doesn't do a cold open this is just Mm -hmm. like okay here you go um is that something that maybe could have been explored had that been thought of or just is it like okay this is the game and and this is what it is
2: yeah it was definitely thought of like there was a point i think fisher you asked me is like uh do we want to start with this biscuit delivery mission (laughs) (laughs) i was like yes yes we do (laughs)
0: well i mean yeah so to to andrew's point there we have an open uh i don't know i don't know if uh, i'd call it a cold open but we have an open that kind of leads you and shows you kind of what the game is going to be about and people have actually used that example online to describe this game like you know this is a game where this is the first thing you do right is um and like you know some people have used it slightly derisively but i think it's a great like to your point about wanting to have it there, Andrew, is like, it's a great touch point. I actually like, you know, like some people will use it almost like in the yeah, the slightly derisive way. And I'm like, no, actually, this, yeah, this sets the mood correctly, right? Somebody who's yeah. like into that is probably going to be into this game.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I think it, it the, the the number of people I've heard talk about the opening of the game. Uh, and talk about it. I haven't heard anyone really talk about it derisively who has anything actually constructive to say. Mm. Um, but the people who have I've heard discuss it are like kind of in wonder and awe of this <laughs> of this decision. and it, it, it's worth discussing in the way they talk about it. Uh, I think no one would be talking about the opening of this game if it was a standard bombastic, uh, you know, Skyrim open, or you know, Arkham Horror—the card game open, where you know the world is on fire around you, and you need to escape um, because that's that's what everybody does. So, um, yeah, and I think it 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 definitely uh, is a problem for people who don't have the patience to get into the game. Um, but I don't like to Fisher's point if they're not down for delivering biscuits and uh, mm. engaging in the world from a lore perspective, then they're not going to, they're not the person who we, who who's probably going to really get into our game anyway.
1: Interesting. Okay. So that was more like a, a... It was a flag point. It was a flag. It's like, okay, here, this is a, a, almost like a mission statement. Like a lot of games do that, where it's like, here's the mission statement. And the mission statement and this game is biscuits.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> and with, with a yeah, connection, of more biscuits. Yeah, to come.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah. connection, connection, going around talking to people, you know, in- engaging with the world, engaging with the lore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah,
0: for, for anybody who's listening who's unsure, that isn't actually all the game is about. And we do no. get into <laughs> some more intense stuff, but like it is trying to tell you that this game is going to be different than other games.
2: Yeah. And I'm a big, you know, I've, 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 I've been on record many times saying, you know, how big of a fan I am of uh, Lord of the Rings. And I, you know, I, I, I you know, people might laugh to say, I'm trying to compare our, our game to Lord of the Rings, one of the like classics and, and literature. But uh, I think Lord of the Rings has a similar criticism to it where, it, it, it opens slow and it just kind of, you hang out in the Shire for a long time. Uh, and oh, yeah. some people,
0: people, people love to dunk on concerning hobbits, <laughs> <laughs> but I love concerning, I love
2: concerning hobbits. I think it's an awesome chapter and I love everything that comes after it. Like I've read that book many, many times. And, uh, I always kind of have a sad feeling whenever I, I leave the opening, um, mm. because I just love just dwelling in that space. Where everything is just kind of nice, mm-hmm. and uh, I wanted to do something similar where uh, you had time just to to let it all sink in.
1: Uh, one more question about challenge, then we'll move on. Um, so, in the, in the review that I did, and also in the comments that I've uh, you know referenced people. Um, so, some of the missions are challenging. We'll talk, we'll get into that in the spoiler mode. Um, but I think the game is pretty upfront about the main challenge to me being longevity. How long can you go? You know, can can you visit three cities, four cities, five cities in a day? Can you get done X mission, Y mission in a day? And because the rule makes a big deal about okay, you end the day and then it, you know, this like things happen, uh, so to speak. So, um, is that did that come out in a satisfying way for both of you in terms of like, uh, and it, like this is the challenge? The challenge isn't necessarily bing, bang, boom. The challenge is long term managing the deck. And you know, getting uh, being efficient with your uh, with your with your rules. So I just want, um, I guess, throw it out as open-ended question. Uh, how do you feel that came out in Urban Rangers?
0: Well, there's there's an element that I like about it, and then there's one element that I, I wish, like, I, I don't know exactly how I would have uh, approached it differently. But so the the part I really like about kind of managing your day is to that opt in difficulty and that decision there's uh, a lot of your days will play out in this way where as you get kind of to the back half of the day you're looking at your deck looking at the board looking at your objectives and trying to analyze how much more can you do mm-hmm. can mm-hmm. like can That's i push it. myself can i travel one more location and set myself up perfectly for tomorrow and you're kind of managing the right now against future in my campaign and like, it creates this really interesting tension that's fairly self-directed, which I think works really well. The one thing that I would do differently isn't necessarily a mechanical or even dynamic difference. It is just an expectation setting difference mm-hmm. is like, and it, it kind of latching on to one of the things you said, which is like, we're setting this expectation that you want to like last your data to last as long as possible. And this is actually something where like, I wish I had better taught people exactly it's, it's it's hard because I, I believe in teaching people how the game functions, letting them figure out how to best play it. But mm-hmm. like, I, a lot of people will approach this game from a, I need to take no fatigue. So for people who aren't aware, in the game, you have your deck. When your deck runs out, the, the day ends. And when you take fatigue, cards come off the top of your deck. Uh, this is a base mechanic, no spoilers or anything. It's just, this is how we time you out. And um, there are some people who say okay well i'm never gonna take fatigue i'm gonna play incredibly carefully Mm -hmm. but it's actually kind of a trap because if you play super carefully the game keeps happening to you path cards keep coming out onto the board and Mm -hmm. actually you're gonna end up suffering way more fatigue without leaving your location or achieving your goals (laughs) than you set out to save yourself in the first place so it's actually often safer to take the risk take a little bit of fatigue to get your objectives done now because Mm -hmm. then more challenges that'll actually cost you that will net you way more fatigue later will come out. But I don't know if some people will come into the game playing kind of cautiously and end up falling into that trap and like we'll have to basically clear this location and spend rounds and rounds here when if they had just taken a little fatigue early, they would have. And so that expectation setting thing, I wish I could have set players on the right path uh, a bit more directly.
2: Yeah, so I I think that the the fatigue mechanism and when to suffer it and when not I think is a uh, a pretty fun thing to discover, but uh, I think you're right. It is something that maybe we should just have said, hey, it's it's okay to suffer fatigue because uh, mm-hmm. to me it's uh, it, when we were in development. Um, I remember talking to Fisher about how I really wanted. the uh, the soothing fatigue to be the primary mechanism by which you got cards back into your hand so that it was like a really slow drip that we, so we needed to train people, hey, it's okay to suffer fatigue. Actually, you wanna suffer some so you can get some, get get your cards into your hand, so you can do the cool things you wanna do.
1: So to be clear, Um, uh, soothing, so you have kind of like three areas of putting of your card management area. So you have your deck, you have a discard, then you have your face down, turn to the side fatigue pile. And so, like, usually you only have a discard. So it's like, okay, I'm going to manage my discard. So now it, you really kind of have two, but they act differently. And the fatigue pile is the pile where it's like, you can recover cards from here. So, like, it's not bad to get fatigue, But I think gamers are coming at it, again, expectations that we only have two. And, like, discarding is bad. <laughs> and I better not discard <laughs> cards.
2: Yeah, I think another thing about the fatigue that is interesting, or just, like, the length of a day, is that um, something that uh, I think most, most players try to do as much as they possibly can and try to push those limits. And that's really fun to do. Um, but that it's, it's also important to note that you can, as soon as you travel, you can, you can just pack up the game at any point and just say, all right, we're done for the day. We've, Mm -hmm. we've, we've done enough. And I think, uh, I think that's a really interesting aspect of the game that, um, I, some people engage with, but not a lot, but it's uh, that is definitely a uh, a part of the game that I think appeals to players uh, who maybe have kids, don't have a lot of time on their own, like can't, are playing solo, uh, just want to get some game in, and uh, and then call it good. Um, that the game can do that for you, uh, so you don't even have to go through your entire deck if you don't want to. If you feel like you've accomplished everything you want to do, then you know just just in the day. (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) Set up camp. (laughs) Right.
1: Uh, Yeah. I think uh, I I love what you said uh, um, when you were talking fish about um, that moment of, you know, I'm halfway through my deck. Right. And I'm looking at, you know, I maybe have a couple of missions and there's some timers running on the missions. I have, you know, I have some predators in front of me, you know, and, but I can just kind of like shotgun through them, get to the, um, the, 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 clear the location. I know these are terms that if you're not familiar with the game, you might not know. In order to get from place to place, you have to kind of, uh, you you go to the location card. Sometimes there's a predator in between you and it. So that's where the fatigue comes in and that's where the the management comes in. Um, I really feel like the challenge, quote unquote, is right there. That, ha- you know, how much can I squeeze out of my deck? And I, I feel for you guys because that's not the easy thing to advertise and market. It's so much easier, like it's the easy mode button to be like, okay, Cthulhu, you know, and, you know, we I did, did knock knock down all those hit points here, the, the draw of it, the real nuts and potatoes. What does my commenter who wants challenge asking for it's there. And I just, I feel like I wanted to spend a, a lot of time talking about that because, you know, that's a good challenge. Like it is, like, it is. Like I, I feel accomplished when I do it. Like I do a bunch of things before like day eight and I have like this list, this long list of, of achievements or whatever. It's like, yeah, I did that. Or if I go from eight, date eight to 11 and I've done nothing, <laughs> well, I'm not done not nothing, but like I've, I've noted no achievements and I've gotten no new upgrades or whatever. Then it's like, oh, I'm doing crappy. <laughs> I need to get myself together. So there is. You know, but it just looks different than a lot of other games. And I guess you guys are happy with the way that has come out for the most part.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, for the most part. And like one thing about what I said about, you know, suffering a a lot of fatigue being often the optimal way to play. I won't say that's always true. And like this is part of the reason we didn't want to like super point people that this is the way you should play. Because some people have really had enjoyment out of stretching out their day. And the certain player type likes that but it does result in longer play sessions just as far as real Mm. world time goes. And it can be a little more tedious because you often have to like, there's some of the repeating challenges you see a lot, like are the terrain type stuff. And you see a lot more of those cards just because you're not getting through them fast. But there are like in our fan community, we have some people who really enjoy taking that approach. There's a, um, uh, slightly infamous combo that lets you, uh, uh, prolong the day for a very long time but I think the general uh mm. ev- everybody's in agreement that like it's a bit painful to play right <laughs> you can sure you can stretch out your day but are you is that a is that a quality day are you enjoying yeah. <laughs> yourself you know exactly
1: <laughs> a lot of soothing a lot of soothing <laughs> yeah <laughs> okay so um I think that's um we're good on the kind of non-spoiler mechanical stuff you see how hard it is imagine doing 40 podcasts of this people <laughs> <laughs> avoiding spoilers and talking about the game in a substantive way um anyway so let's go to the production side uh because we, we did a whole uh, other episode on this i was really excited about it the goals of earthborn games in particular and this and this first game was to make a quote-unquote sustainable project uh and that can mean a whole bunch of things but you know generally means you know um doesn't have it doesn't um, put a bunch of pollutants it's not going to last for thousands of years and some you know uh, leaching microplastics into the dirt Uh, it's going to be um, as much environmentally friendly as possible so I'll refer to that last episode to talk about the specifics of what was envisioned I want to know in this conversation about how close that y'all came to your goals is this a quote-unquote sustainable game in your estimation
2: yeah, I, I think we well, I know we've we hit almost every single goal we set out to achieve, which is really exciting. Um i yeah, I'll go through all the all the things we were able to do, and then I'll I'll mention the couple of things that we didn't quite we didn't quite hit and then um talk about a little bit the uh some of the challenges that we had. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, the game itself, uh I think it it's this is this whole process has also been an education for me. So my my thoughts and opinions of this have definitely uh, uh, changed over through this process as I've as I've gone through it. Um, and even like the word sustainable, I think is an interesting one. Uh, that's a very loaded term, but I think uh, as as far as it is used colloquially, I think we could say 100. This has been made sustainably. Um, so. Uh, all of the paper in the product in, in it is, uh, 100% FSC certified and the entire product is paper. So everything from the box, the internal components, every single aspect of it, FSC certified. Uh, so that's the forest stewardship council. And, uh, they have a bunch of, they have a bunch of goals, uh, both for, um, forestry management and other societal things that they try to, uh, judge, um, the, uh, all the, all their participants along the chain of custody of the, of, of paper to give it their seal of approval. Uh, so it, it has that. So that was one of the goals. So we, we achieved it. Um, another one of the goals was to have no plastic, uh, whatsoever. And, um, again, like I said, everything is paper, but I think it's also really important for people to know, uh, that, that also goes to the coatings, uh, on, on the paper. So, we use dispersion coating which is a um, which is a water based coating we have to have some coating without any coating it would be a mess like it, it would just <laughs> uh, it, it would be almost the the equivalent of doing like a hand printed uh, <laughs> hand printed game on a hand press with would, just it- the ink it, it would need
0: sleeves, like yeah.
2: There's it would shred no like after one
0: shuffle, right? Yeah, and
2: <laughs> like, and the ink would come off on your hands. It would yeah. be a, it would be a nightmare. Um, so uh, so it, it, your your coatings are are a couple options. You can do a UV coating, which a lot of people think of as like that high gloss coating. Um, that's not necessarily true. That there's that is also a UV coating. Um, that spot gloss, but UV coatings are mostly as what on every on every single card that on every game ever. Uh, So, we use the dispersion coating, which uses
1: plastic, right? Like, we're talking about the spot UV coating. Yeah. That's a a bunch of plastic.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Spot UV coating is a ton of plastic, but even UV coating that is just on like a magic card, that's also plastic. Right. Um, And and
1: to be, I mean, you you saying before about like the, um, you know, how games are, we are much worse. nowadays (laughs) nowadays <laughs> every game has because uh, you know that technology can become cheaper and printers are like mm-hmm. oh but look at this to make your, your game look better and i think jamie stegmeyer talked about this on another show of like okay you know making your game like blinged out quote-unquote and look super nice only costs a couple extra bucks per unit so it's like wow yeah i my game can go from this to this for only a couple of bucks per unit what is the cost people the, mm-hmm. the environmental cost is uh that much more plastic that exactly. is glommed on to our games all these games they look blingier but they are there's a reason why they look that way and yeah. we want and uh, and that's the, the exciting thing me you know we I, I'm not an earthborne games but like our <laughs> desire <laughs> our overall desire in terms of uh, the call here is to kind of go in a, another direction.
2: yes uh so yeah so all so we use a dispersion coating which is a water-based coating which still uses a like a small amount of like vegetable-based plastics as far as i'm as far as i know but it's it's like the minimum amount possible like there's no there's no option apart from that um but all uses that and also we uh didn't core any of our cards so um like magic cards Uh and again, a lot of cards you'll find in board games have a uh have an adhesive uh core that Mm. glues two pieces of paper together. That's your card stock. Ours does not have that. Um, so that makes our game um completely recyclable, uh, whereas those cards are not. Uh also we have uh, we use vegetable-based inks. So all those facts combined makes it so that our game is not only recyclable, but it's compostable, um, mm-hmm. which is uh, which is pretty exciting. The only thing in it that will probably take longer to degrade are the four staples that come on the on the rule book. but that's but that's it. Um, right. So and the from- cards feel good. Yeah, I do.
1: I probably should have said that in the review because they had some questions <laughs> about that, too. Uh, but in terms of because, you know, people say, like, oh, sustainable. And, you know, they, you know, the people know what paper feels like that isn't treated. So it's like, oh, these are going to be flimsy cards. And they're going to rip. I can't shuffle them. Like, no, they you can shuffle these. They're yeah. fine.
2: Yeah, okay. absolutely.
3: Um, yeah,
0: we can get around like the the core gives you the snap that people really like and this opacity that people really like. We can get around that a bit by uh, just choosing our stock really carefully, and we chose, like, the thickness of our paper. And most people, like, upon handling the cards, to, to your point, Jason, they have this expectation of what they're going to feel like, that they're going to be feel cheaper or flimsier. Right. And honestly, first blush, people aren't going to be able to tell the difference. Uh, mm-hmm. You can maybe notice a little bit of a difference if you give it to your most uh, clam-handed uh, player, <laughs> and they really, like, vice-grip them. They might, like, snap back a little less. But uh, honestly, like i've been really impressed it's so close that most people when they sit down at the table wouldn't even guess
2: yeah and i think if you're a if you're a veteran card game player too i think you'll definitely be able to tell the difference um but not in terms of the quality of the print uh, or the finish it looks it looks awesome uh it's the cards are so vibrant beautiful and uh, they hold up to shuffling um but yeah, a lot of people sleeve them anyway. I've been suggesting that people sleeve using sleeves they already uh, own mm-hmm. uh, instead of buying new ones. Uh, that's that's what I did. But you don't even need to sleeve them. I've seen lots of people playing without without sleeves and having a good time. Um, so yeah, from from all that, from all those perspectives, uh, the uh, the game 100% um, is uh, achieved our goals. Where we were unable to meet a goal was uh, one of the things we had during the Kickstarter. Like our only stretch goal was this concept of uh, regional manufacturing,
1: local shipping. Right.
2: Yep, and uh, that was one place where we we weren't able to achieve that um, for a couple reasons. One, the manufacturer that I had lined up in the states uh, fell through, um, and I didn't have a I didn't have a backup for that uh and i also learned um uh, that this my my sales rep who i was talking to was uh kind of on his way out the door at the time so he, he left me hanging and kind of like misle- misled me in a couple ways so um the materials that i would have had to uh that we would have had to use uh in order to meet the material requirements the fsc requirements uh would all have had to have been imported anyway so um uh, that was that was very frustrating because you know, I've learned that there's no place in the world that has more FSC certified forests than the United States. Uh, but getting FSC certified stock, you need to import it. Like it go, it leaves and then comes back, which is crazy. <laughs> uh, but that's what happens.
1: This is the globalized world that we live in, people. You'd be <laughs> like, you look at your car and look at the amount of countries that the parts in your car come from. Its list is about 15. <laughs> really it, it, it's it's all over the place
2: yeah so uh so that was one thing we weren't on we were unable to do uh however we did print in germany with Ludafact, uh who has commitments to sustainability of their own one of their factories is powered by a solar um by a, uh by a solar panels or, or i think wind, or wind wind turbines one or the other i think it's solar panels um so they're a pretty good partner for that um and they're also a good partner because uh, the um, the materials uh, the paper was sourced from a German forest to a German paper mill and then went and printed in Germany, so it didn't have to go very far. So that was very cool. Uh, and in addition to that, because of all of our foreign language partners and the fact that we did a um, a multi language uh, run, so we did all the languages at the same time, the bulk of the print runs stayed in Europe. Um, we did end up, obviously, having to ship some across the way, which is why it took such a long time for a North American fulfillment to be complete. Uh, and everything was fulfilled in reverse order from normal, so Europe got it first, and yeah. uh, and then it came across to here. Uh, but the the spirit of the local production was, I feel, mostly maintained because we we did we were able to keep most of that stock local to europe so in some ways we achieved it we didn't quite hit it but that that would have been nice um what did you
1: learn right and you learned a lot about this process and i think yeah i mean again with a lot of this conversation about the future there's things that have been learned for the next one
2: yeah absolutely and then the other thing i learned too is that i think with the the biggest cause of waste i think lots of times is just human error so we made a mistake, uh, that, oh. uh, on the punch board, uh, <laughs> that, uh, required us to, uh, in hindsight, I don't know if, if I would have done the same thing again, because it, it caused a lot of delays and, uh, I don't know if the payoff was as big as it needed to be or as, as big as it was, but, um, we did misprint the, uh, the B side of the punch board and I made the decision to reprint that punch. So, In the end, we printed an extra sheet of punch and an envelope to put it in, you know, so it's and all that stuff is also FSC certified. But, you know, it's if if uh, we weren't doing like a million things and uh, tired and (laughs) uh, we weren't uh, we all uh, had the efficiency of machines or, you know, we're we're infallible beings. Um, then, then that mistake wouldn't have been made, uh, and we wouldn't have uh, spent all that time and energy and money and resources to make that happen. So, I think that was the other the other point where I feel like we we missed it just a little bit because we had to do that, and that didn't that didn't feel great. Um, but I think from a uh, backer and customer standpoint, that was the that was the right call. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, for the most part, though, I mean, would you recommend this that other companies try this,
2: or was it too much of a pain in the butt? Uh, the one thing that I really don't, uh, so the one thing that we try, that we've done that is, is very, very different, I think from what most people do just based on the, my experience is being an American company printing in Europe and then supplying Europe. Um, the tax laws around that are a nightmare. <laughs>
3: uh,
2: and I've, I've learned and unlearned and relearned and so much about the tax system in Europe, uh, it's just not set up for what we were trying to do. Um, So it was, it's a tremendous hassle and it's a huge expense. And there's a part of that, that tax that you have to pay of uh, in manufacturing in Europe that you just can't recover Um, and that sucks. (laughs) So it's already more expensive by many, many degrees uh, than than printing elsewhere, like in, in China um, where you can achieve a lot of the same material goals, uh, for, I, I feel like not as much benefit as I'd like to get back. So I think that's one of the challenging aspects is that is the in, in very, very high cost of manufacturing in Europe, uh, versus elsewhere. Um, and then what you get in return from that doesn't feel quite as much as what you would get back. Like if we were to spend as much money as we spent on this production, in China, oh my gosh, like hmm. we come with like a person inside the box that would teach <laughs> you the game or something. Um, so, uh, so yeah, it's, uh, I think that aspect of it, I'm, I'm, I'm not, it, it, I'm glad to have done it. Uh, I'm glad to have learned from that, but I don't, I don't know if, uh, I, I, I haven't decided where we're printing the next time around, but um, let's just say I'm, I'm exploring other options. Um, and I also feel that, uh, my, my experience with the FSC certification process was also interesting because, uh, I always always, I always assumed that, uh, so FSC has this, this thing that they call chain of custody, where everyone along the chain, uh, from the, uh, from the forest to the manufacturer has to have, has to be registered with FS with, uh, with the FSC, they have to store that paper in a certain spot, um. And then, if they do that, then you can slap the FSC label on your thing, and you're good to go. That's what I. That's how I thought it worked, but that's not how it works. <laughs> um, how it works is you have to start at the forest. That certain batch needs the label, needs uh, to get certified, and then every step along the way effectively needs to get stamped. So you it it it, it introduces a lot of additional expense and bureaucracy that I feel like, um, that kind of, uh, that regulation, I feel like in some ways is required, but other ways, I feel like if you were just able to make those personal connections with those people and know how they do business, uh, that would feel way better to me than just some certification for some, from some organization to whom I have no real connection or understanding about who they are apart from what they put forward as Mm -hmm. their public face. Um, And
1: hopefully not like pencil whipping those, um, those certifications where it's like, okay, certified, 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 like not that we, there's a distrust, but like, you just don't know.
2: Yeah, you don't know. And those, and, and those, uh, what goes into a certification can change over time. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, I talked about this on another podcast, but like a couple of years ago, like in the States, um, the, uh, you know, what can qualify as organic food, the, Mm -hmm. the qualifications for that were changed. so it's like okay it's organic but what does that even what does that mean today? I don't know. Like what does FSC certification mean today? Like we have to trust them. Um, so I found it frustrating to hear that the the paper could come from the same place, go to the same from the same forest, the same paper mill to the same manufacturer and if it didn't go through that process now it's not FSC certified even though it's done the exact same way. The only thing is, is they didn't pay the money to the FSC to get the stamp. Mm. Uh, And that's frustrating. Um, And uh, I feel like that's that. Uh, To me, that's the the part that bugs me because one, it's more expensive and two, it takes a long ass time. (laughs) If you want to do something rather quickly, you can't do it with FSC. It's like, you just, you might as well just say, all right, it's like eight to 10 weeks um, minimum. Uh, so that's, that's no good. And so like, I, and I also feel like there's, uh, ultimately, I think the important thing it's, it's good for the sourcing, um, especially if you're doing something with paper, but as long as you're getting something from a, from a, like a, a, as long as you're getting material from like a tree farm it's going to be done sustainably because you can't be in the tree farm business without your farm. <laughs> so you're going to manage that in a way where those trees will come back and everything will be fine. One thing you want to avoid obviously is clear cutting and getting your paper from those sources. And that's pretty easy to avoid as far as I understand it, as long as you have a good relationship with your paper mill. Um, but I think it's really important then to, to treat those materials in such a way where they will disappear from the planet. And that's, I think the step that a lot of people haven't taken that we've taken um, I haven't investigated it yet, but there's that new, uh, that, that Matt Leacock game daylight
1: daylight mm-hmm.
2: that, you know, talks about there being no plastic in it. I'm really curious to know how true that is. Like, mm-hmm. are their paper coatings plastic? I don't know. I, and I think, you know, there's a lot of, there's most people don't consider that. Um, and I'd be interested to know if they considered that. I don't know if they did sometime um, in the I, new
1: year we're gonna have the creators of daybreak on the show and i'll ask that very question
2: perfect i'm hoping to check it out at pax i'm hoping they, they'll they have a copy there and i'll be, be able to take a look for myself but i think it'd be great if they did that but you know on their website they really proclaim loud and proud hey there's no plastic in this game and i think that's a great that's that's great from a material perspective but then where does it go afterwards is it right. still paper wrapped in plastic uh or you know coated in plastic uh, that's a question I don't know the answer to, but I think that's the next step for a lot of people.
1: Awesome. So, so much, so many lessons learned. Uh, go ahead. Absolutely.
0: <laughs> I, I was just going to say there, there's one kind of other goal. That's a little more of a soft goal, but I, I, I think we we had some victories here, which is just like one of our other goals was to just start a conversation, get yes. people thinking about it. And um, like, and I think we've done that not only in our community, but like, I think a, a key example is um, uh, Jamie at Stonemaier games Uh in his first article where he did his he did did like a chart showing a, a bunch of sustainability goals and how Stonemaier's catalog uh charted out to it, he mentioned Earthborn and our Kickstarter mm-hmm. as kind of like hit him being impressed by that and get him kind of thinking about this and then and then that has now led to I think wingspan, cut all its plastic and like and, you know, obviously, you know, he he, and his whole team and Panda, who they work with, have a ton of credit for pushing this in their own way. But, like, I seeing him kind of mention us at the start of it, like, did feel very good in this way that, like, we are hopefully starting people, kind of starting the ball rolling with, with various people and getting people to, to care and think about this a bit more. And so, like, that was kind of one of our other goals. And I would say yeah. that, like, so far, mm-hmm. at least anecdotally i feel like we have uh done that
1: <laughs> yeah absolutely to me the biggest victory of this thing in terms of the sustainability is that the cards feel good they, I, they're so i mean we, we get to the player experience ultimately the player has to be happy with their product and the fact that the cards feel good and look good and they're and they stand up and you know in a way where you know in 10 50 however many years dumping it to the ground it's going to disappear like that's amazing that is so cool and i sincerely hope that like you know, that rises up to, you know, we're a card-based hobby. There's cards all over the place. And if we can, uh, you know, kind of get the word out there, like, oh, dear, this is possible, then that makes a huge difference. So no, kudos. This was, you know, as as much as uh, I'm sure you do not, uh, you look at all the money spent, the extra money spent, <laughs> <laughs> uh, please know that things were achieved. <laughs> I, hope you, I hope that you are huh? hope that you're happy overall with, you know, the investment that you made.
2: Yeah, very much so. Very much so.
1: Excellent. Okay, so we're gonna make a lot of loud noises right now. Woo! Hey. Spoilers, spoilers. I'll put a little sound effect. Ah, spoilers. If you don't want any spoilers, people, that's it. You're good. Uh, we'll see you next week on the One Stop Kuhasha podcast. But we are going to get into spoiler territory for the story. So now we can let it rip. I know, Fish, you've been like, okay, <laughs> held back. <laughs> now we can like, <laughs> in terms of what we're going to do. Uh, okay, so, wow. Um, it's so interesting that, okay, so the, the the arc of the story, right? So it starts off at this really, really chill uh, moment of like you're delivering biscuits. And then you have all these people. There's so much of the value is just people right and like you're running into the people and you're taking them to different places and it's okay you're, you meet a person here you get the helping hand mission and then you know bring them there and then they're happy and then they give you a thing uh so there's that um and then it goes into and then it gives you that that drip like it was day three or day four or something like that i think it's day four um where it's like okay you get you get a, a mission i think that's exactly what it was but it's like okay journey here figure out what what uh what's going the, on
0: the the flood start yeah
1: Okay. Right. You're right. The floods. And then you start to, you know, get into the whole um, flood thing. So, and then, and then we can kind of go on and on. So um, I'm, 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 I'm wondering whether I should start kind of from the end working backwards. I'll do that. I'll do the end working backwards. Uh, The reclaimers, right? So the reclaimers uh, end up, you know, kind of emerging as this threat. You know, we talked about a game that quote unquote didn't have an overarching threat. Um, You know, that's like front facing like Cthulhu or anything like that. But uh, ultimately, the reclaimers, which are these creatures uh, that are really kind of like, I don't know, uh, an invasive species, I guess that's the best best way to Mm -hmm. put them emerges as that threat. So talk a little bit about developing that as an idea, how much how you determined how much to foreground them how you thought of in terms of, okay, I want to make them an invasive species, I don't want to make them evil, da, da, da. Like, Talk just a little bit about how that whole process developed in making the reclaimers, uh, situating them in the valley in a satisfying way.
2: Yeah, so the, the early drafts of the story had a, um, a much more, I think, traditional kind of human versus human thing, um, happening, uh, like very, very early on, uh, there were some twists and turns in it, but ultimately it felt really kind of, um, I don't know, like something that I'd seen too many times, uh, even though I thought some of it was interesting. Um, and then we had these, uh, these animals that Sam Gregor Stewart had invented for our lore called relger beasts, which were, these like giant warthogs <laughs> that we had stories in the valley. I think there's one card that has Relga beasts in the flavor text. So there's still a little bit of uh, and, a nod and, to that.
0: They're mentioned in the world book as well. So yes. yeah, mm. yeah we, we still have some Relga beast remnants. Yeah. Yes.
2: Uh, so it was like they were kind of like this um, imagine kind of like a, like a mix between uh, the behavior of like a wild boar and like locusts where they would mm. swarm in and. There was a moment in the past where the people of the valley had to kind of fight off this Relger Beast invasion, um, and I remember that uh, I, I may be missing—I may be missing a uh, a plot. Uh, we might have had a different plot thing in there at one point, but I remember telling Fisher and Brooks at one point where I just had this idea. I'm like, let's let's just do Relger Beasts as the threat. We were like trying to figure out like what the what the big problem, the big issue of the, of the, of the campaign was going to be. And that was met with a lot of excitement because like, yay, cool. It's a, something simple that we can, that we can build on. Um, so it started off as that kind of like these wild boars. And then I uh, did a bunch of art to try to make them weirder and more interesting. And, um, uh, and then one day just had this idea to, uh, that the relgrave beast just didn't quite sound mysterious or or dangerous enough, and the 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 word reclaimer came to mind, and then that that to me like suddenly clicked in a way where we were able to then explore um, more of this idea of biomelds and like things that were made from the past. Uh, you know, like uh, big big themes of the game are you know the the people of the valley dealing with creations from long of the people long ago and the reclaimers are one of these. Uh so it played to those themes more and then uh the, the design for the creatures uh was I think the, was, um, was fun to do.
1: The Estrian civilization I that I right? could Estia. yeah,
2: yeah so yeah, that, but the Estians that... didn't necessarily make the reclaimers. They were just the ones who settled in the valley. Um mm-hmm. so that's where their arcology uh was situated. And the reclaimers you you don't really know and you don't really learn where they come from. Mm-hmm. Um uh though there are clues <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, yeah one of our other big themes of the game is about human intervention uh in nature and this question of like we obviously brought it to an extreme in the earthborn setting but it's still a relevant theme to today it's like in this environment that is so basically c- controlled by humanity and at this point, authored by humanity from all of our past interventions, what is human intervention anymore? Right? Mm-hmm. Like, is if 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 there is a a boom in a population that was created by us, is stopping it more human intervention, or is it stopping the effects of previous human intervention? Mm-hmm. And like, it gets really ambiguous. And so part of this is exploring the, these themes on like this incredibly, you know, like inflated sci-fi scale and the reclaimers i feel like do a better job of that than like the relic beasts were a little more ambiguous about you know like they're just like this invasive species and there's some interesting questions there but the reclaimers um they are directly this creation and uh as the story goes on you kind of find out that they're interested in digesting pursuing and digesting human structures Mm -hmm. and artificial structures and uh so their purpose also kind of ties into that interesting theme of like, is this actually bad or is just, this just bad for us?
1: Right. And, yeah, so this is a course correction for like nature in general. You
0: know? And so, yeah, th- th- we wanted to create like some of these questions around them. And I think the Reclaimers do a much better job of that than the roller Rebeasts ever did. Yeah.
1: I missed that part about like, um, so I guess I didn't, I mean, i I was in the in the thick of the story, you know, <laughs> managing my hand and stuff. Um, in terms of where the reclaimers come from, um, you know, they give these, they give the sense of being like somehow engineered, uh, and you know that they weren't that they, but that some kind of intelligent intervention kind of made them such. That, that that's what I felt like. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I felt like this is the revenge of something, but I didn't. We never get to the point of like understanding what that is. So am I in the ballpark? what they're supposed to be?
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like, I I don't, we didn't really want um, to spell it out because there's no, again, like trying to treat the valley like a a real place in in the world. um, There's really no way for the people of the valley to know where they came from or what they really are. Um, So we just wanted to kind of, and You'll, you can go around and talk to different people and there's different NPCs that might have something to say about them. And there's different clues kind of like littered throughout, but you might miss all of those as you're playing the game. Um, at the end of the day, it's about kind of like being in the moment and what you might discern from that experience or what you might get from the main story is like really all you need to know as a ranger to do your job.
1: <laughs> <laughs> do you have that lore set up? Or is yeah. that evolving? So, the, so that's all set up, like the background yeah. and where they come from and all that stuff.
2: Yep. Okay. Yep. Um, but it's again, it's not really important to okay. the story. Uh, it's uh, it's more of stuff that we know and allows us to create a logic for them to follow and mm-hmm. for us to then bring more of those details to the surface as we feel it appropriate to do so. Mm-hmm.
1: So the big climax of the game uh, occurs where, uh, so, I mean, we, and we'll, we'll go to the climax and kind of work our way backwards how you got there. Um, because in terms of dealing with our claimers, like what do you need to know as a ranger? We need to know as a ranger is how to protect the people uh, and how to protect people. From, so you learn just enough about what they want. So you discover that what they want is to eat basically munch metal in the words of Gribble. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, they they want to eat the arcology. They want to eat like the, the, the structures and everything. Uh, and so they go to the biggest structure, which is the spire. So then, you know, as that's building up, you have these choices about uh, whether you want to, you know, do a whole bunch of things and flood them out. Uh, do you want to like feed them to this giant marsh beast or whatever it is? Or uh, I think those were the two, right? I, did I miss one? <laughs> I think there's I'm a not... third.
2: There's a third option, but it's a uh, it's it's kind of the let them do their thing option. Yeah, suboptimal.
0: <laughs> it, 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 yeah, it's arguably the like more kind of like fail condition finale. Right. But there is at least one character who makes a halfway decent pitch as to why it might be the right thing to do still. So like, even this, though it's... That.
1: Oh, this is why I'm talking yeah. about?
0: What? No, I mean like, okay. that one, that one is like a little more subtle. And, mm. um, but like, you know, we wanted, even though it's kind of the, like the slightly more failure, like timeout finale, we, we there is still reasons it could be the right thing to do from a certain mm. perspective. Um, But yes, you're right. The other two finales that you can find are probably the, uh, the kind of like best endings, as more of the if, win if, the game types. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you want to talk about it from that lens, yeah, mm-hmm.
2: yeah. Which one did you do, Jason?
1: I did the flood. I didn't. I didn't. I I felt, and maybe I say, and this is why I want to talk about this. Like, and I I'm I'm in, I'm projecting right. So it felt like feeding this beast that I would regret feeding this beast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, um, the appetite grows with the the, mm-hmm. the meals. So like the more it eats, the more it wants to eat. So it's not mm-hmm. like, you know, give it a bunch of stuff it's like done and satisfied for millennia. No, it's like, they're just, it's going to want more. So I got <laughs> this feeling, <laughs>
3: like,
2: nice.
1: if I do this, <laughs> I don't know what's going to happen.
2: <laughs> that's great. that's uh, great. So,
1: I mean, so I guess that's a projection. I mean, I mean did, was, that, was that kind of thing thought about? About, or you know, in terms like how are different people going to respond to this? And how we're going to set this up? Because a lot of times it'll be like, and then I get something in more video games, and you know that that RPG sense of like, there's like this is what the paladins would do, and this is what the renegades would do, mm-hmm. kind of thing. And was that that's that's kind of the frame that I approached it of like, it sounds more paladiny to not feed the angry beast from hell. <laughs> <laughs> So that's why that's why I went with so like what was that a projection or was that kind of a little bit of that kind of threaded in there? I,
2: I thought it was just all we we're trying to do is give you fun things to do. Uh, okay, never mind. <laughs> and with slightly different, uh, slightly different mechanical strengths. Like if you're if you're good at one thing or another, you might choose or or just story wise, like based on where your feelings are. I think exactly what you did is is exactly what we hoped for. Is that you're you're emotionally invested yes. in the story. Um, so you made what the, what you felt was like the best choice for you. Um, and I think, I think that's awesome. Uh, so that is it. That's the story functioning as intended right there. I would say,
0: <laughs> and we do have some repercussions of the decisions you make in future expansions. Uh, mm-hmm. it's all I can really say at the moment, but like, so, uh, thinking about the repercussions of your actions from a thematic standpoint, uh, does serve you well. <laughs> yeah.
1: Right, but but like you said, um, you I may I missed some major things (laughs) of like this this guy blared out a hint of like okay do this not that and it's like you weren't you weren't quite there so I'm just um, (laughs) that's there too
0: (laughs) yeah 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 Mm -hmm. and I think that um the the one you did uh, where you kind of flood out the reclaimers uh I think probably has the I I I have a personal attachment to that ending because it echoes back this mechanic. Like from the moment the plot gets serious, which is the valley starts flooding, mm-hmm. it takes that mechanic of flooding and reapplies it in mm-hmm. a different way that's actually kind of positive for you. And so I like how that kind of comes full circle. Um, yeah.
1: I, I think that was also a played a role. Uh, guys, speaking of that, so like, look, now we can, now that we have like the big thing, we can kind of reach back and like a lot of things make sense. Right? Like you're doing, you're in it, and you're like, okay, you're kind of bouncing from thing to thing. But then the the thing happens at the end, and like all of a sudden, all this other stuff makes sense of like, there's a broken dam. And like, you know, the, the valley has dealt with water, uh, uh, you know, throughout and all that kind of thing. So, talk a little about that. Talk a little about, like, you know, these. Um, we'll, we'll start with the flood of like through lines, the thematic through lines that you wanted to establish in the story.
0: Well, Andrew, do you want to talk? I, I can talk a bit mechanically, but do you want to talk about like the, uh, flood. the dam yeah, yeah. and the flood and like, the yeah theme, the yeah
2: i think trying to trying to wrap things around wrap things back around like narratively and have a, a good satisfying conclusion that calls back to the beginning i think is uh is um it, it was is really nice and i think uh is quality storytelling um and it's something that you can definitely arrive to i think which is great but yeah there's definitely uh floods are a big thing in the valley and <laughs> and throughout its entire history and we'll be getting into it even more um a bit in the uh in the next expansion as well um because uh you can go to a location um where it gets into it a little bit uh i don't know if you ever went to the fractured wall location I went everywhere you- okay i went everywhere Are you kidding me uh, <laughs> <laughs> last time i played i didn't get to like a, a like two-thirds of the map well, okay, um,
1: so I went quote unquote everywhere, but I am one of those gamers where it's like if if I finish a game and there are stuff undone, I'm going back and I'm going to check <laughs> out what nice. I missed and all that. It wasn't much because I, you know, so um, people might know you finish the game and then it says, okay, uh, here's a card, do this extra stuff, but it's like, okay, what did I get? What did I miss? And so that that I think that does a good job of bouncing you everywhere, right? That card, yeah, like,
0: it's it's mm-hmm. not quite not a hundred percent in the game but it's effectively our right. like here's like if you find all this stuff we feel like you've gotten yeah satisfied your money's yeah. worth out of this yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely yeah
2: uh so yeah there's a location the fractured wall that you can go to which uh talks about the which is a um which is an old dam that it, that broke perhaps thousands of years ago uh, and then uh, that people believe like washed away the Estian civilization that the, the people who lived there before you. Um, so that's a really significant moment in the uh, in the lore and the history of the valley. Um, but then, yeah, obviously, as you play, you'll, you'll do more with floods and then we'll be doing <laughs> we'll be we'll be talking more about the, uh, the Estians in the in the next expansion when when you uh, go underground and explore their ecology
1: uh what were uh, we mentioned before in the uh, brief harder show um about like hard missions what were you uh what were you thinking of in terms of i was thinking of the marsh the marsh ended up being really difficult for me, uh, maybe just because of my build uh but uh what what were you thinking in terms of like missions that was like wow, that was a little savage
0: oh yeah the marshes the marsh is brutal in our advanced playcast, you can check out our advanced playcast where we play through the game uh we, we first we just ignore the main plot we we sprint down to the south first thing and try mm. to deliver and then we we immediately jump into the marsh with starting decks uh <laughs> and uh but to your question i think the mission that people go what the heck is uh it's called into the nest and you're yes. like that's what I was diving say. into this nest of reclaimers and it's pretty brutal. <laughs>
2: it's really hard. Yeah, that's a hard mission. So
1: I wasn't actually um, once I got quiet, and I mm-hmm. was able to kind of unleash quiet on the lands. I, I felt pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I saw your your cast about like okay, even the most pacifist player needs kind of a weapon. And I'm like, I have these little thinky weapons all of a sudden. And all of a sudden I, I get quiet and I'm like, I'm feeling really good. <laughs> <laughs> she, <laughs> no predator shall get me. And I'm, that's she's, a she's, lot pretty, of problems. she's
0: pretty powerful. All our companions are good. But yeah, she is. Uh, she's pretty good.
1: I guess like I, I think of her because she did the thing that my deck didn't do. Mm-hmm. You know, my, none of my not nothing in my deck, like you know, dealt with predators directly. So once I got that, I'm like, okay, you take care of that, and then I can kind of build my deck towards like, a, you know, a bunch of soothing. You know, kind of like a healer character, and I had a bunch of other, you know, uh, companions and you know, ways to, you know, um, some stuff with trails. So yeah, I mean, I was able to kind of build towards. I, I didn't encounter that in the lore quest as difficult, as maybe some others did, but yeah, I mean, I can see that being like okay. Mm-hmm.
0: Oh yeah, the, the lure to like lure her out in the first place. Oh no, I'm sorry. The
1: into the nest one. The into the nest. Version. Oh
0: yes. I didn't find
2: it yeah. that yeah. difficult. It mm-hmm. depends on uh, that that mission. I find depends a lot on the trail uh, on the path you come in on. Mm-hmm. The, yeah, the the, yeah, the terrain type. The terrain type. So, uh, the last time I played that, I I forget which terrain type I was I was using, but I it was I immediately regretted it. And <laughs> 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 Then left and came back. <laughs> and then I was able to do it. Uh, yes, yeah, so I had to like take a day to get the heck out of there, and then the next day I came back and ended the mission. And it was uh, it was it was more achievable. Um, yeah, lure is another one I think a lot of people have difficult difficulty with playing solo because uh, it can be uh if if you're not familiar with the uh, terrain sets and don't know where the best the best and most juiciest prey right is uh then yeah it can be pretty hard to both uh get enough prey uh to lure out the mega predator and then still have enough gas in the tank to actually confront it
0: we um we also didn't uh scale that one uh off of player count as directly as most of other missions um so we have a lot of knobs and levers to play with on player scaling and like uh for lure you have to uh, as andrew said you have to get a certain amount of prey for a while we had that scaling on player count Um, and I think we opted... In the final game, it doesn't, right, Andrew? Yeah, first Um, five. Five is present. Because it it kind of... um, Just with the pacing of the day and the size of the terrain sets, uh, scaling it with player count was too dramatically easy for solo players, and so we ended up making this flat amount, and it played pretty well, but like a lot of our solo testers are often uh, a little more practiced at the game, because they can really crank out solo tests, and so I do think sometimes you know, like that might be an instance where we maybe be overtuned and made the solo experience a little harder.
2: I do think the solo confront though is pretty easy if you have the That's right true. cards in hand. Like it's trivial uh, yeah, it is. if you have the right cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, or, I was have, a soothing uh, machine. Not. Are you kidding me? I was, <laughs> if, if was
0: learn like, some boom, things boom, from boom, a certain, <laughs> If you've learned some things from a certain spirit speaker, you uh, can... Right, yeah. yeah.
2: Or if you have the staff of harmony.
0: Oh, yeah. Just yeah. boom,
2: done. Mm-hmm next mega predator
1: <laughs> so in terms of I mean okay so um in terms of the the way you structured the missions right so you know, you begin with you know the the easy stuff and the biscuits and everything and then the flood hits it's like oh there's a real threat over here and then there's this kind of like unfolding of uh the mission so like we're, call, we're talking a little bit out of order but you can imagine so it's like um you know you beat one reclaimer right <laughs> or like you see one and then it's like you 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 learn more about them and then you you know you have to trace them a little bit and so it's like it's just kind of like arcing 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 the more you complete those you and the way it, it is is like okay you do a mission and then you have three days to do it then you do a mission you have three days to do it and along the way you can do your side stuff
3: right mm-hmm.
1: um do you feel like that 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 came out? Right, that, that you wanted, that 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 wanted. There was some weirdness where it's like, okay, I'm in the middle of this, like you know, hunting down reclaimers, and then like Queasy shows up. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a little yeah. bit of weirdness. I also email Fish about this. It's like, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm climbing to the top of the spire, but then my feet are still in river because the river card kind of st- stuck on me. So, um, in terms of those, um, co- joining the overall mission with those little splashes of open world that kind of give the, you know, the the game what it wants. Um, Do you feel like overall that all came together for you?
0: I think it, I think it like, I, I stand by the balance we struck. I'd say that in an ideal world where there's no restrictions, uh, everything would be reactive to everything else, right? Right. Like Mm. I would love for quizzy to have unique text based on exactly what's happening for you. Where are you? what mission is going on, right? Like she says something different. If nothing else, at least the like really big moments, right? If there's a big flood, it's just not like, hi, I'm quizzy, but instead like, you know, really reacts to that. But we had to make some hard decisions about, you know, we wanted to make sure that, you know, uh, we had a physically printed campaign guide so that people who wanted to just play this all traditionally at their table and didn't Mm. need like an online resource or something could. And like, we just have a limit on page count or words that Sam and Andrew can write Or, you know, uh, and so because of that, we made we had to make some decisions about places we didn't include reactivity and had and like, you know, so we we tried to find key moments. But I think so I, I stand by the balance we struck. But I would tell you, if you know, if, if you're asking, like in an ideal world, what would we have, <laughs> in an ideal world, everything would be way more reactive than it is. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that's what
1: the bold That's what Baldur's Gate three did better than anything. Uh, everything reacts to everything else, and, my, and there's a couple shortfalls. But like for the most part, like if my face changes as a character, now all of a sudden this chain of events happens that uh, things open, things close, et cetera, et cetera. And, yeah. it, and it's a card game; it's not so, only be so much that you can do. Uh, I guess you know, just overall, it sounds like you you know. Even with the little weird bits of like, you know, I'm about to, you know, uh, enter the nest of something, and then all of a sudden, you know, some uh, it, uh, some person's like I forget like exactly, the fundamentalist or something. Someone is like just sitting there p- plucking. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. Right. I- yeah, I think uh, you, you Fisher sure hit the nail on the head. I mean, there was lots of things when I played through where I was just making notes of like, "Oh man, this is weird." I like I even made a note at one point it was like, "Should we just turn everybody's dialogue off during the flood because there's just too much going on?" And say so people, right. people just yes. say, "Hey, I'm too busy." It's can't you see it's raining? Um, but I think in playing the game, I. I kind of enjoy uh and just just lean into those moments of uh of dissonance mm-hmm. where you know that person shows up like uh like it might be pouring down rain and sybil is there uh painting a landscape i'm like dude what are you doing like <laughs>
1: <laughs>
3: it's an but electric
2: it's...
1: storm out there how yeah. would you sit there
2: painting <laughs> exactly but i think it's kind of funny and I, I i enjoy those moments And i think it creates moments of fun and levity that uh for for the players at the table where they can kind of have fun time with that kind of goof on it a bit if they want tell their own little story about what's going on it makes it uh more interesting and memorable um and i think also like back to your uh the question you had about like you know going into spire but still like being in the river that that Mm -hmm. kind of abstraction of location versus the 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 path yeah um I think that also creates similar, uh, similar moments where you might be asking yourself, what is, what's actually happening here? Why, how am I doing this and this at the same time? Um, and I think though, for the most part, you can tell a little story about that and that abstraction works in that, um, that emergent narratives favor. Uh, and again, creates memorable moments for people who are imaginative in that way, uh, because this game is really for people who, um, who like to play in that space of their imagination and, 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 and enjoy being delighted in these ways. Uh, so I think it really gives you a lot of, a lot to chew on, even though sometimes those, those, those moments are goofy. I think, you know, that makes it, that just makes it fun in my opinion.
0: Yeah. That's, that's a really good point about the emergent narrative is like, uh, the emergent narrative thrives on these combinatorics where you have these things happening together that most other players never experience and then you kind of have to it's that role-playing exercise of figuring out how it works we could have designed a game that feeds you challenges one after another and makes sure that they're completely contained Mm
3: -hmm.
0: and hand authored right but that'd be a very different game uh nothing wrong with that game. That would be a very different experience. But it'd be far less emergent. You'd be t- less telling your own story as much as just listening to the story that we have authored for you. Exactly. And so uh, I think Andrew's point about emergent narrative is is th- there's going to be some weirdness. And almost that the tension of that weirdness creates, spurs you on to tell your own stories of how that all makes sense together.
1: Mm-hmm. OK. Um, so that's how, I mean, those. that's the stuff that I remember for the most part. Um, what are some story beats that you want people to really take away from the game? Like, you know, let's say you're, um, you know, you're people are kind of de- debriefing about the game and you're kind of sitting back going, hmm, that's, uh, they enjoyed that. Or <laughs> they, they resonate with that. What are some story beats that you're like, okay. Uh, that you, you wanted those to land. You wanted those, to, because they become the foundation for future storytelling. So uh, I, I'll go one at a time. So uh, Navarro, then Fish. What do you, what what are, what is like a a story beat or two that was like okay ooh yeah they uh, really want that to land.
2: I think the finales. Uh, I if if you're talking about just straight like authored story, I think the impact of, of the finales I hope comes across because uh, uh, in it's spent like, you know, Sam did a great job doing the initial pass on those. And then I spent a lot of time editing and uh, kind of rewriting uh, those sections to try to really, um, really, really make it evocative and then uh, create, make, make those moments feel emotional. Um, So you feel something. And uh, they made me feel something. so hopefully they, <laughs> they, they hit with, with, uh, with people who are open to it as well. Um,
1: I like what you did with the flood where you had the, was it L or A yeah. or whatever it was that like it wasn't just like a, a faucet that you just turn on. Like you know, he had done some bad things with floods and you had to kind of convince him through his sister to do the, no, this is good now. And like, I think just turning that little human knob, I think that the game does a real good job. And I think like um, you set that up in the very beginning with the biscuits, where it's like, this game is human centered. You got to get to know the humans and that's all going to kind of pay off in the end. Yeah. So and I, so that was really, really well done. I enjoyed that a lot.
2: Awesome. Awesome. But I think though, the I feel like the thing that I really want people to take away are the things that are unscripted. Like, cause those, those are the, me are the things that like, are the fun things to share with your friends. Uh, Cause I, cause you know, when I, when early in development, when this whole system of the challenge effects was being created and the interactivity of the things on the table um, was coming together uh, when those moments worked to tell a story. I felt that when the game was at its best, I still remember like the first time it kind of like really came through to me. Or One of the first times was I was in the swamp and, uh, I, uh, I and I was going to, uh, it was back when the swamp had used to have a lair that would spit out hydro worms. It, it doesn't exist anymore, but at the time it, it did. So there was the lair in play and then there was the, the a marmot. And I was going to follow the marmot to try to get out of the swamp. And I did a test to, to, to follow the marmot. I failed. The lair spit out a hydroworm and then the hydroworm ate the marmot. Mm. And I was like, God. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just saw that moment of like my ranger, like spotting the marmot, like, oh, sweet. Well, a cute little guy and like follow Jump. along and all of a sudden the <laughs> comes up out of the swamp and just swallows it whole. Mm. Uh, and I love that. I, it's, I've never forgotten that it created a picture, uh, it painted a picture in my mind and uh, it hasn't left. And I, I think those are the, those are the times when the game's at its best.
1: Mm. Uh, something that uh, you want others to stick with uh, in terms of the story, uh, Fish.
0: Yeah, I, I, I mean, Andrew or just kind of, like a
1: mechanical moment, like maybe there's like a mission or something like that that you that sticks out for you.
0: I mean, a- a- Andrew, uh, Andrew's second answer there is is kind of that is also my answer, which is <laughs> that like my the, the big thing from like a mechanical standpoint was trying to create unique experiences. So like, uh, we've there's some stuff hidden. There's stuff that's not on that 100 percent card that like you can find. Um, and like not a ton of people are going to find, uh, (laughs) and Mm -hmm. there's, you know, we've set up this system where you see all of the terrain a lot, but then you combine these other cards with it. And we were trying to create some stability, but also combine things in such a way that like, my hope is that everybody comes out of this with a story like Andrew's Marmot story or something else that like no one else has an exact story like it um i like love a game like arkham and you know you get some unique ways that a scenario builds up but uh, often scenarios play out very similarly right because they're very authored to be this like um very clear concise experience and uh for us creating those like unique moments that I've seen, and I think we've succeeded in, in in many ways. Where I'll see people talking about their experience with Rangers, and it's like they're talking about their role playing game campaign, right? <laughs> like, let me tell you about my RPG. Uh, and so that's that's the stuff I want. I want you to kind of feel like you're playing an RPG GM'd by us, <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, and so more so than, and you know, we we've worked all the. We talked earlier about big themes and stuff in in the the plot, in like the the IP and the story, but. Those are the moments, those little moments are what I care most about people walking away from the game mm-hmm.
1: with. I think for me, I appreciated the human-septiveness of this. I was a little bit wondering the when we did our original interview, um, you're very and we talked about like hiking and mountain climbing and like that's all in there. I didn't know if that was gonna be the game of like, you know, I'm going mm-hmm. to ascend this mountain or I'm gonna do this today. It. It's not really like it's it's there, it's 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 kind of in a pinned in there the real thing that hung for me is like i remember queasy i remember um oh my god there's so many characters uh the the barbarian that i had to take all over the freaking place and of course <laughs> yeah, she's in the of yeah. course she's at home in like the furthest place ever <laughs> Do her mission multiple times to find out where she where she's happy uh and 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 i end up um because i figured out where she had to go but i hadn't opened that mission i haven't opened that mission tree yet because it's all the way in the bottom and i'm like okay I really want to resolve this. I'm tired of this, but I'm not ready to go down there yet. <laughs> can you wait?
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm, you can I'm go down there to the card. <laughs> In our advanced playcast, we made it there on day one. So. <laughs>
1: and you regretted every minute of that. So yeah, I, I okay. clearly
0: <laughs> we
1: did it right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like that stuff, that's the stuff I remember, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's the stuff that sticks with me. And, and it's not necessarily like, and I guess that's an interesting question, I guess. And that's one of the reasons why I opened with the Reclaimers. Um, I wasn't, well, they they felt a little too faceless, you know? Mm-hmm. I didn't, I I kind of, like, you want to strike a balance, right? Like, you don't want the evil genius behind the Reclaimers. So just, like, show up and, like, okay, <laughs> I have Reclaimers and they're going to eat your ecologies. Um, <laughs> and but then then there's, like, the other side of it is, like, you know, they just kind of, like, they felt, a, a little bit like, okay, almost like homework. Like we need a threat, and mm. it's like here, we, you know, here, here's the thing that eats the things that I love, and not. That, I'm, i mean, I'm not saying like it was like bad or anything, but like uh, relative to like how the rest of the valley works, that's so human centered and so personality centered. It felt like a disjunction, kind of going from that, you know, dealing with ale, this, this, all kind of stuff, to like, okay, now I have to deal with this basically monotone threat right and so i don't know if i have i don't have a question out of that but just kind of like that's yeah. how i
2: respond i can hear yeah i can see that i i think did you meet the verdesian
1: yes yeah okay yeah i remember that and and then the whole like um talk to the Verdesian thing mm-hmm. and then, that that felt I, how did the verdes i missed that how did the verdesian kind of interact with because they had he had he wasn't a reclaimer but he had like kind of information about the reclaimers and yeah. So you know,
2: effectively that. like the verdesians the one who leads the reclaimers to the valley um okay so in some ways like he's sort of a villain sort of Ish. um yeah but you're right there is no there's no like must- mustache twirling villain um or uh, face to put on it uh and i think uh as this as the overarching story kind of unfolds i think you'll um I know we're in the spoiler section, but I don't want to spoil things that haven't come out yet. <laughs> but I think uh, you know you'll you you might you might find a little bit more of what of of that kind of human face uh, to things that are going on. Um, but uh, I think for me, I I liked that the story was more about the again, like you're saying, it's very people focused. Uh, more about the people of the valley's response to this thing as opposed to it being like this coordinated force that has a face to it, that you, that is something that needs to be defeated. Because I think that's one of the debates they have at one point in the story is like, should they even, should we even do anything about this? Should something be done? Should
1: we evacuate the spire and having that whole council debate
2: and all that? And if it was this, you know, if it was all engineered by this mastermind, then there, that question doesn't really exist uh, because you obviously, yes, you stop the bad guy. That's what you do. Um, So, yeah, I really wanted to try to make a story without an overt villain Mm -hmm. and yeah, the best way to do it that I felt was, was trying to create this, uh, you know, effectively, like a like an like a force of nature that comes through. So, um, you're the villain, if anything, is whoever whoever those jerks were who made the reclaimers in the ancient past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're they're the villain though you can't actually uh, interact with them in any way.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, like yeah, one of the goals uh, of the IP is to not just be optimistic from an environmental standpoint, but to be optimistic from like a human standpoint, right? Um And you know, like, this is a world where everybody's working together. You don't have, like, Meadow and Spire going to war with each other, right? These are people who want the best for each other and want to work together. And, you know, it's it's humanity has changed and evolved. They live with the world in a very different way than we live with the world today. And they live with each other in a very different way than we do today. And so, like, a mustache-twirling villain or even a, you know, like... A villain with understandable motives, but
1: uh, like a revenge thing. It's like I'm going to questionable techniques. Get back,
0: yeah, yeah. Still, just isn't quite what we want to kind of put out into the world as far as like messages about the future of humanity. Right. This is an optimistic future for humanity. We're still dealing with a lot of bad decisions from the past, and a lot of you know
3: hmm.
0: problems from the past, and just because humanity is working the other more doesn't mean that people don't disagree about ways to approach things but like everybody's coming at things from a uh hopeful productive approach right two people might disagree on what that approach is but it's not like somebody's not in it for this like selfish reason and that's not quite the story we wanted to tell mm mm-hmm. Yeah, and I
2: think oh, I was gonna say I think that 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 is challenging, and I think that's one one of the one of the many challenging things about uh, creating the narrative for this setting and for the game is trying to get myself out of those well-worn mm-hmm. storytelling tropes. Uh, you know, I have a I went to school for creative writing. I've I've done a lot of like narrative work. Um, I understand how to craft a a story. And, you know, the shortcuts you can take to make it hit with people, um, and trying to not do those things as an exercise and try to still come up with a compelling story is challenging. Um, and I think it's, uh, and I, it's, I think it's interesting to hear from you that, you know, it, that the reclaimers didn't quite hit, um, uh, super hard, but ultimately, um, I, I feel like that's, you know, from my perspective, I feel that's kind of, uh, that's kind of fine. They're not really supposed to do that, right? Because you can, you there's an option in the game where you can just ignore them entirely. You can mm-hmm. ignore the entire story. So, like
0: trying <laughs> to create, a,
2: uh, you know, a threat that you could even just kind of let happen and just go do your own thing throughout the entire campaign, start to finish. Uh, I think they uh, they achieve that goal from a from a gameplay and a storytelling perspective, where they're they're there, they're a threat, but you can deal with them or not. Um, it's really up to you.
1: Mm-hmm. And I, I guess, like that's expectation, I felt I did feel obligated. Like, okay, yeah. here's a threat.
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I
1: got it. Let me do this. All right.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and most people will feel that way. You know, I think there's a maybe on second playthroughs or like there's a one percent of player out there who, who will uh, who will get that notable event for not participating in the story at all. There's, a, there's an achievement for that, I think. Oh,
1: really? I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> That's on our
2: website. Yeah, the achievement is called Hard Pass. Mm. <laughs> you only get it by not, not completing any story missions, including the biscuit mission.
0: Yeah, for, for, for anybody who's not aware, you can go to our website. There's a resources tab. We've got a bunch of stuff there to support mm-hmm. the game. But one of the things, Evan made these awesome little badge graphics for a few achievements we've made. Um, there's a few different from ones that are extra challenging to ones that have you do some kind of weird stuff uh and you can so people looking to kind of add some variety to their game could go check that out and see what badges they can earn
1: <laughs> outstanding thank you so much for delving into the 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 spoiler stuff and i mean i assume i assume there's more to say but i think that's uh we're good for now i don't want to impress too much of your time um so i'm looking at my gameplay all-in pledge and i see that the legacy of the ancestors campaign expansion is a thing <laughs> so uh so what is this what is this thing and when are we going to receive the thing
2: Yeah. So, uh, I, I was incredibly and stupidly optimistic. I did the classic, the classic Kickstarter, like, uh, overestimation of what we can do, um, at the beginning. So I foolishly thought that we could get the core game done and the expansion done at the same time. I was wrong. Uh, and I sent out a, uh, this is what I think one of the first Kickstarter updates I sent out just said, Hey, yeah, uh, that's not going to happen. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, uh, so um, uh, the Legacy of the Answers expansion is almost done now. Um, we are going to be doing a uh, reprint um, campaign on GameFound in January for the second printing of the core game. It'll also function as a uh, a late pledge mechanism for anyone who didn't, um, uh, didn't get Legacy of the Ancestors the first time around. It hasn't been available since. Even in our pre-orders and stuff, we haven't made it available so it has not been available to order since the original Kickstarter. Um, so if you missed it the first time around, you'll have a chance to get it. And anyone who backed it already, uh, you'll be um, you'll be getting the you'll be getting that that'll be coming in the mail uh, eventually. You don't have to pay anything more for shipping if you ordered it. Then we've uh, already collected um, a portion of uh, of that shipping. We're still subsidizing it pretty considerably. Um, uh but uh you won't have to pay again but if you back the game fountain campaign and get more stuff there you'll get a credit on your shipping if you're a returning backer mm. uh who already got legacy of the ancestors so you'll, you'll effectively you'll be getting the money we charged you back and then you'll have to pay shipping again on whatever else you get but you'll be getting all that stuff at the same time so there's more um,
1: stuff besides legacy of the ancestors is there multiple expansions coming
2: Yes, yeah. There's a new uh, ranger expansion called Stewards Stewards of the Valley, which uh, increases the starting pools for the existing specialties and backgrounds. It also adds a new specialty and a new background: the mm-hmm. uh, the Tailspinner background and the Spirit Speaker specialty. So, Spirit Speaker Nal is someone who you meet in the game, and you get to play as as her uh, as her uh, class, quote unquote, use role playing terms. <laughs> um, and then uh, we'll have some other. We have another thing that we haven't announced yet that we'll be putting up on our Gamefound page here. Uh, that is a uh, add-on for some more um, Pathcard content. Um, and then uh, obviously we'll have the the core game again that'll have all the integrated errata and uh, clarifications. Uh, you know, obviously this is a big. This is a, a massive game with a ton of words, and we're a very very small team, so. Uh, now that the game is out in people's hands uh, and people are playing it, we've, we've been getting amazing feedback The the feedback you get on a finished product is mm-hmm. like a, always a thousand times better than the feedback you get in play testing. Uh, yeah. That, that's so, how you
1: improve a game. Release 5,000 copies of it and see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> that's
2: right. So the game, you know, still totally works. You know, it's uh, you and you don't need the second, uh, second version, especially if you use our, we have a an online resource called the Lil, living Valley where we have a digital version of a campaign guide that has, all the errata integrated into it. So you can always just go to that if you want to. Um, so anyway, we'll have that in the campaign. We'll have new miniatures, new playmats, like all sorts of fun stuff uh, to get in this new campaign. So uh, yeah, there's there's plenty, plenty for returning and new backers uh, coming up here.
1: Wonderful. So uh, this is a long conversation, but I think that uh, in terms of getting the global reach of what's happening with this product, um, are there new games from Earth One Games being released, or is that this is this the focus right now?
2: Well, we're focused on the on the Game Found campaign coming up, but we have been working on another game um, for the last two years ish, over two years now, um, that is uh, very very far along. Uh, that we're hoping to bring to crowdfunding uh, next year as well. So nice. we'll be doing the Gamefound campaign in January, and then I think we'll be doing another campaign in June, July ish. Uh, but we'll be announcing what that is as soon as we finish the key art and logos for it. <laughs> but uh, everyone should be very excited about that. it's it's very it's very different from from Rangers. Um, it's a different uh, it's a different setting even. Um, but, uh, it's a, it's a really amazing game. It's one of those games where you, you, I played it and I was like, oh my God, yeah, we have, we have to print that. We have to publish this game. It's, it's awesome.
1: Great. Andrew Fisher, Andrew Navarro. Thank you so much for spending, uh, an afternoon. <laughs> now we're more, we're morning. It's up. At least for me, a morning. and <laughs> an afternoon with us and a morning and afternoon with our uh, listenership. Thank you so much for stopping by.
0: Thanks, Jason. It's always fun.
2: Yeah. Thank you for having us, Jason. Very much appreciate it.
1: If you can change your mind, you can change the world, people. So until next time, later, buddy.
0: Thanks for joining us again for the One Stop Co-op Shop podcast. Check out our YouTube channel at One Stop Co-op Shop. Also, join us for games and discussion on our Discord channel. You can support us on Patreon at patreon.com onestop one stop. Or leave us a review on iTunes. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week for another top five list.